I think I'm having an art attack. And welcome to another episode of Art Attack. <laughs> that was so, terrifying. I know. It was, it was really bad. Um, today, we're going to talk about everybody's favorite artist in the world. The artist that everybody knows, but nobody knows. The artist that everybody wants to collect, but is so afraid to collect. And we don't even know who this person is, even though we all think we know who this person is, and that artist is Banksy. Banksy, 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 Banksy. I find it a little bit perplexing that people call him Banksy. Have you oh, encountered that? I so have. many people. It's so weird. That's not phonetically how Banksy is, is spelled. But yeah, it would be Bansky. Ba- yeah, Bansky. Or Bas- uh, <laughs> no, Bansky. Yeah, right. B-A-N-S-K-Y. Exactly, which is not how he spells so it. So today or we're going to talk about... Band Sky, the collective. <laughs> so Banksy is so many years ago. I don't want to name drop my friend Flea <laughs> from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. I'd really hate to talk about who I know. F- Flea, my good friend. How do you Flea. spell Flea again? F L E A. Flea, Flea, <laughs> Flea was talking about Band Sky, and he was like, "Man, I want to introduce you to him." I was like, "What? Are you are you kidding me? Like, is this real? Like?" And then he was like, no, man, you should really meet him. I was like, oh, shit. Like, so there's people that know him. And I have friends that have painted with him. So there's like, this is somebody that actually exists in the world. Banksy is from England, from London, right? From London Bristol, or from I Bristol? Believe. Okay. What's the difference? We're American. <laughs> sure. Makes no difference to us. We don't care about that. That's why we're very myopic Americans. So... You want to talk about Banksy? I mean, you're the street art expert. Well, (laughs) I appreciate that. Thank you. I don't know about that, but let's first of all talk about what we know. So Banksy started out as Robin Banks. That was his pseudonym. And then that ended up shortening to Banksy. That was his pseudonym. What was his real name? Oh, we don't don't know. Do you? Oh, I don't know. No. Was that your way of trying to... I know people that know people. Flea, my friend... (laughs) Wait, what does Flea do again? He's the bass player for the Red Hot Chili Peppers, oh, my cool. great yeah. friend. Yeah, I, forgot Flea. About that. I hate name dropping Flea. <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead, sorry. So Banksy began doing stencils in the 1990s in Bristol and throughout England. And if you think about that time, that is actually pretty stunning because we've talked about the United States roots of graffiti as being in the late 60s, 70s in New York. And really, 60s, more of an in a political activism kind of way. And then with graffiti, as we know it, and stencils in the 70s and 80s with people like Basquiat and Herring and so on. And so for Banksy, when street art is at a low, to see the opportunity of putting his streets and his satirical messages and his anti-governmental statements on walls, I think that's pretty great. And he launched a renaissance of street art activity And very famously, he created this film, Exit Through the Gift Shop. Oh, brilliant. So Totally brilliant. And it's interesting because I've talked to 
hundreds of street artists and graffiti writers since 2010. And often I'll ask, what is your origin point for wanting to work in this world and seeing the streets as your canvas? And many of them, if not the large, the lion's share majority, will say it was because of Banksy's film. Yeah, you know, this is a guy who, I, and I wasn't really into necessarily a lot of what was going on on the street, but Banksy is so clever and so funny and whimsical. And obviously, uh, if, if you know anything about street art, we'll know that Banksy was, was either mentored by Blake Lerat, who he was his teacher, would that be fair to say? Or at least he quotes... Lorat's aesthetic. I'm not sure if they ever worked together, but certainly there are similarities in their design and in their sure. process. The only difference is Banksy got huge and nobody knows who Blake Lorat exactly. is. So, uh, <laughs> Isn't that always the case? Yeah, it is. And you know, when he when he came on the scene, he took it by storm. I mean, he really did. He he whether you like him or not, you know, whether you think he's trash or not, whether you think he's a cleverest and not an artist or not, it doesn't matter. Because he has become ubiquitous with the word street art. And his book really went global. And I remember when his book came out, it was just everywhere. It just pervaded every coffee table. You know, every coffee table in Hollywood had that book. Everybody had that book. And he's done such smart, really stunts to put him on the map. And the first one that I remember might not have been the first. I remember three. Uh, but the first one was when he went to the Tate, right? Or somebody went to the Tate oh, as him. So brilliant. And put up his own art on the wall, basically co-opting the interior of a museum, of one of the most famous museums in the world, and said, boom, my art is here. And then, of course, somebody films it. Who films it? We don't know. And then they release it to the media. Who released it? We don't know. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. All aspects on all levels are brilliant. And then all of a sudden, we've got a Banksy in a museum that was put there by force. Usually people are stealing art out of museums. He's putting his own <laughs> art in there. There's so many layers to that of, an, of just smartness and everybody in the world. It, first of all, and it also shows you how despicable security is in the museums and how how dangerous and fragile that world is. Well, that's true. Somebody stole the Mona Lisa by scooping her off of the wall and sticking the canvas underneath his outfit. So right. it was yes. Picasso. Uh, that did of that. course. He did get blamed for it. I know. We that's talked crazy. about that. Yeah, that's he, crazy. he was arrested and questioned about that. But But wait, what, wait, but what do you think about Banksy putting his own yeah, work at the Tate? I exactly. mean, I that think is that, multidimensional. Oh, it is. To me, the true value in that is that he's circumventing the system of the art world because artists don't get to determine whether their work is going to be in the walls of the Tate. That is for generations of tastemakers. Right. There is protocol. Right. You sell to a certain collector base, somebody sees you as you use the word, somebody anoints you. And then you're within the community of a celebrated gallerist. Which and then I love. maybe, yeah, then maybe a curator finds you. There is just a linear progression of how to get into the walls of the Tate. And Banksy is like, F that. I'm right. just going to put myself up there. I'm cutting to the front of the line. I'm going to put my own shit up there. I don't give a shit about your institution. I don't give a shit about what you think is supposed to be where. I'm putting my own work up there. I'm filming it and I'm releasing it to the media. Boom, I'm Banksy. 
That was fucking balls, cojones of steel. The next thing I noticed about Banksy was I was like, oh, that was crazy. That was wild. That was that was cool. Like, you know what I'm saying? I'm, I was giving him like, that was definitely cool credit. And the images were also very clever and cool. If you don't know who Banksy is, wake up because you do know who Banksy is because you've seen it. His work is ubiquitous. Anyway, the second thing that happened is I was down in LA and there's this crazy party going on. And I was like, yo, I got to get down with like, what? where's everyone going? And it was Banksy's show in downtown LA. Was this the 2000, early 2000s, the right? early 2000s show with the elephants, oh, you Angelina Jolie, that? Brad Pitt. I was there, downtown LA. Once again, didn't really know about Banksy because, you know, those things come and go in your mind's eye. You think about, oh my God, that was a crazy stunt by that artist. And that name is a, re- it's a, by the way, it's a really good name. Like Picasso, great name. Monet, great name. Toulouse-Lautrec, great name. Rodin, brilliant. Michelangelo, amazing. Bua, pretty fucking good, to be honest. <laughs> I'm not going to lie about that. But Banksy, also amazing. What a great name for an artist. This guy had the most blowout show with elephants, art everywhere, celebrities. He blew out a giant space into an art gallery. Absolutely freaking brilliant. And not just elephants. It deserves mention that these elephants were painted to echo the aesthetic of decorative arts. So the spectacle and the performative nature of everything that Banksy does is really what makes his work so resonant within the zeitgeist because it isn't just static and it isn't just an image that has some kind of political disruptive message, which I do think is important to note that Banksy isn't making work that isn't about anything or is only aesthetic for or art for art's sake. He's really commenting on systems that he thinks are fractured, but he's doing it in this really playful, performative manner. And then people remember. It's the very famous image, and everybody knows this, of the guy with his hat on backwards with a scarf over his mouth throwing a bouquet of flowers. Instead of stones... Or a grenade. Or a grenade, he's throwing flowers. He's got the, the picture of the two cops kissing. You know, like he takes these images... Two male cops. Two male cops, of course, yes. And then similar to the one with the guy throwing the flowers, he'll have a little kid with a machine gun, mm -hmm. but instead of bullets, it's loaded with crayons. Or, you know, the little girl with her heart balloon floating up into... Oh, let's talk about this work. A girl with balloon painting, which is probably now fetching huge prices at auction. Oh, it's insane. And this image is on mouse pads. It's on one of my best friend's iPhone case. I mean, it's everywhere, really. Everyone knows his work. It does. So it's a little girl who's reaching up for a balloon, and the shape of the balloon is a heart. And so to me, this indicates whimsy and longing for love, and there's always kind of a childlike element to his work where he can activate that sense of our brain that's nostalgic. And so we're looking... We're looking at the world through this childlike lens. And so I just find it really, really captivatingly innocent and sweet. So this, a version of this work was recently up for auction at Sotheby's. And I, I hate Sotheby's, of course, because I have my relationship with Christie's, but it is... Oh my God, what a snob. <laughs> it's, it's the great. top of the top auction house, sure. Christie's and Sotheby's. That is the holy grail of this kind of commercial art space. So it was sold for 
nearly $1.4 million, which is pretty remarkable, even for Banksy to fetch that kind of a fee. And then the second the gavel hit its little wooden thing, whatever it is, mm-hmm. all of a sudden the painting seemingly on its own started to shred. Right. And what we learned through Banksy's Instagram is that years ago he was playing the long game and he inserted, he built the shredder into a pretty ugly frame. And then I don't know what happened to the painting after that. It just went through its typical channels of private market and then eventually to Sotheby's. And so somebody, maybe it was Banksy in the room, triggered this shredder as soon as the painting was acquired. And what's amazing to me about this is that he is completely dismantling the whole sense of consumerism and the way that we place monetary value, not only on art, but street art specifically. Because you and I have talked ad nauseum about how street art is democratic and it's kind of outside the space of the market, which is what makes it so powerful and profound. But Banksy is at the center. He's the mainstream. And so he's marginalizing his own work in a really cool way. And the one thing I'll say about this performance, and then I'd love to hear your thoughts, is that my suspicion is there is no chance in hell that Sotheby's was not aware. No chance. First of all, and I remember this from my days at Christie's, when a work is up for auction, it is inspected. There are conservators who are checking it out, looking at the quality of the work, and there is no way that the frame would not have been dismantled, even if temporarily, to see the quality of the art. So they do that? They take off the frame? Of course, because what if the sides are shredded? What if it's shit? Well, look, this is the art world, and this is why the art world is so wild and, and crazy and it, there's no regulations and and even the regulations that they, they have they're clearly they I agree with you I think that there had to be an awareness about this work and what a smart thing to do I mean you know going back to the Tate time when he just puts his own work up there and circumvents the preconceived you know the the existing market of the institution just goes around that jumps the hurdles has a crazy event in LA, biggest event ever, celebrities amok. Then he does that other freaking crazy thing where he's selling, he's got, he's, he or somebody is selling Banksy's work, which are originals, and they're selling for $10 or whatever, and no one's buying them. That Where was that? Was that New that, York? Yeah, $60, and that was in that little, I can't remember if it was on the Upper East Side or in Soho, but in those little tented areas where people just hawk their wares. And yeah, that's like down on West 4th Street, like in front of the basketball courts. They hawk their wares there. They hawk their wares on 42nd Street. But it was probably somewhere around there, maybe even up by the Metropolitan. But the point is that, like, He's showing, once again, context, context, context. Here you have an original Banksy. He's selling it for 60 bucks, and nobody wants it. But if they knew that it was a Banksy and it could get $1.4 million at auction, people would have been lined up around the block, which is another great thing he did. So always, he's always disrupting the art world. And this whole Christie's act, this, this circus act, what does it do? It goes viral. Everybody's talking about it. Everyone's like, yo, did you see this? Like, how many people sent me that article (laughs) and that video? Like, I don't know, 40 people sent it to me? Yo, Just, did you see this one? Oh, my God, check this out. This is just disruptive. It's crazy. I know. The best for me was that I get a text from my stepmom yesterday. She goes, you have to call me right away. So I, of course, am panicked. Call her right away. And she goes, 
what do you think of Banksy? Do you think Sotheby's new? <laughs> well, and, and I just thought that then, was so charming. And then, and then the smartest thing is that he does that to say a commentary on the auction world, but at the same time, it's going to go from 1.4 to 20 million down the road because that will be the famous moment in time at 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 auction that Banksy disrupted the marketplace. Right, which is I think the next iteration of the relationship between contemporary living artists and institutions like the Tate, the Met, Sotheby's or Christie's is that now they're kind of in cahoots because I really right. would challenge anybody to le- legitimately look me in the eyes and say the Sotheby's didn't know. There's no chance. First of all, because of the frame. Second of all, if you watch the video, people did not seem appropriately shocked. There were if- some people that were shocked. Maybe, but But those are the people that didn't know what was going on. Right. Not everybody in the room did, but if nobody had known, they would have raced to the room. You would have heard cursing. There would have been chaos. Let me tell you, man, this dude is a hustler. Okay. This is just, let's break it down to a street science. If you're at Times Square and they're playing shells, three card money, whatever they're playing, whatever kind of hustle's going on, there's one dude who's doing the hustle. And there's one dude who's doing the bidding with him, okay? <laughs> or, or, or two or three. So there's about four people out of, you know, 40 people that know what's going on in the game. You can't have the game work without other people in the game hustling. So there's a whole network of hustlers in there. You're right. There's no way it's just Banksy, Banksy, Banksy and his hand on the trigger. There's Banksy. There's the auctioneers. There's the people behind the scene. Dude, that dude is connected to everybody now. He's fetching prices because even though he's a street artist, and by the way, when we say he, sidebar, Banksy is definitely a collective. Banksy cannot be so omnipresent without multiple people in his what we will call a crew or a collective, but there's multiple people doing his shit. We're just like there's multiple people doing Kahinda Wiley stuff, doing uh, Jeff Kuhn stuff. Shepard Ferry. Shepard it's Ferry. studio of. It's a studio of Banksy. Might be women, men, black, white, who knows. But the point is, there's multiple people doing his stuff. So those multiple people, we don't even know how far the network goes. Maybe the network goes to the point where he's got his crew at Sotheby's, at Christie's. Who knows? And that's what could be like, just mind-boggling. Like, And that's why he's, he's running shit. You don't like you think he's disrupting it, but he can only be disrupting it by the virtue of the fact that he's kind of running it. Yeah, he's in it. I a hundred percent agree. And I think that it's really kind of genius because now the experience of this work in the world doesn't end as soon as it was acquired because that's what happens at an auction. Something is purchased, and if it doesn't go to a public institution, we don't see it again for decades maybe until it resurfaces and the current owner wants to sell it again. But now this is this organic thing that lives, and then it became a question of whether the person who bought it, some European woman, whether she was going to... to continue purchasing the piece, even though now part of it was shredded. And we just realized or just discovered that she is still going to pay for the piece and she's going to keep it. Of course. Which I love. That's so, it would have been such a missed opportunity if she had tried to conserve the work back to its original state, because the fact that it is partially shredded, partially intact, 
that becomes its story and it becomes the most valuable element of its provenance. So when people were saying, oh my God, he destroyed art, really he's upping its value. Oh, Banksy. <laughs> oh my God, it's so smart and it's so layered. And I... And, uh, but because he's, he's taking art and he's making art performance, he's making art street, he's making street performance, he's taking it into the fine art world, he's taking it into the commercial art world, he's taking it into the to the auction world. It's like he's he's hitting every layer, you know, and he's and he's down with Shepard Ferry, you know, him and Shepard and and what's his name? Brainwash. Brainwash did the documentary together. And that was genius too, because that was a great calling card, you know, to just this is how we want you to think the world is. You know what I mean? We want to put you, we want to bring you through this fake documentary and make it feel super authentic and paint a picture that we want you to think that this world is like. I don't know. It, and, and it's like the Descartesian dream within a dream within a dream within a dream within a dream. It just never ends. I mean, he's very smart. Or they're very smart, you know, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if it's much like a sitcom where they've got a writer's table and they all come into a, you know, collective think tank and they go, OK, so what can we do now to break the mold? Yeah, exactly. You what's on what space is untouchable that we are going to get our fingers on? Yeah. And, you know, don't worry, because we got money coming in over here all the time. There's enough to bankroll that company. There essentially has got to be. I mean, I want to see the papers of his corporation. They've got to be incorporated. <laughs> I want to see his payroll. I want to see his accounting. I want to know how much people make. That's interesting to me. That is a fucking business. Banksy, you are the business. You're you're a fucking corporation. You're like John Gotti of the art world. <laughs> you're fucking, but, he is. But what I still think is important to outline is that he's not doing this just for the sheer shock value of destroying something at auction after it was sold. His work still has really resonant, very trenchant content. Absolutely. He's brilliant. I mean, I, I like is one of those things that you can't deny it. I, I don't really care what people say. I know other some people don't like him. Some people love him. People always go, well, what do you think of Banksy? That's always like, uh, Abu, uh, uh, what do you think of Banksy? Do you think that he's uh, doing stuff? I'm like, yeah, man. Banksy is brilliant. Whether, you know, Banksy the collective, Banksy the individual, it's brilliant. It's smart. It's funny. Uh, I don't care that he uses photographs. I don't care that you that he uses stencils. I don't care. I don't, you know, the process doesn't doesn't like make me not want to enjoy the work. I think the work is really is always clever, always funny. I like the color because there isn't, you know, because it's always just street and stencily. And they're smart choices. I like the placement and I like his concepts. I don't really know much I don't like about Banksy. And that is really incredible for me to hear because so often when you and I have art discussions, I'm talking about the concept and prioritizing that experience. And you will also introduce the importance of process and how something is made. And with Banksy, it's not really about the craftsmanship of his design. It's about the placement. It's about the disruptions and it's about this performance and the fact that it lives on. And so it's really cool that we we agree on that and see his brilliance in the way that he conceptualizes what he's going to do. And it doesn't always have to be these really large statements. One of my favorite Banksy's is a work that I saw in LA 
and I'm not sure whether it's still extant, but it's in the downtown financial district and it's in a parking lot. And he was in LA promoting his film. And when he was here, he did a bunch of works. Most of them have been buffed, but this one was up for a really long time. And on the parking lot, there's this sign that says parking. And he crossed out, he buffed out the ING. So you can really see park with this faded ghostly residue of the ING. And then he stenciled using his traditional multi-layer stencil, a little girl who was swinging from one of the letters. And Mm. so he's turned something that if you have ever been to LA or if you live here, you know, parking is a shit show. Mm. And so he's turned something that is a really uncomfortable, unpleasant experience into a space of play and from ubiquity to nostalgia. And it was such a simple gesture, but just so impactful. And That's one of my favorite pieces because it was quiet, it was tender, but it was still really uh, quite profound. And on that note, if you don't know Banksy, look him up. And please don't call him Banksky. Yeah, or Bansky, (laughs) because it's Banksy, and he's brilliant. I don't even even hate admitting it, like he's brilliant. That's it. Yeah, he is. End of story. Okay. 